Hey, Scott here with Grace Bible Church. Before we get into this message, I just wanted to thank you for streaming this sermon. We pray that each week you are challenged by who God is and what he has done for you. Now, this is never meant to be a substitute for you to be an active member of a community of faith. If you live in the Holidaysburg area, or if you're in town for any reason, we encourage you to gather with us on Sunday mornings for our word and worship. You can learn more about what God is doing through our church body on our website, gbclive.org. Well, I purposely wanted to have all four gospel accounts of the resurrection uh, read today, and today we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. This is a picture of the garden tomb. If you ever get to go to Jerusalem, whatever you do, make sure you go to this site here. Right beside it is the hill of Golgotha, which we, again, we don't know for sure where Jesus was crucified. We don't know for sure what tomb he was buried in. The Bible says he was crucified outside the city, the place of a skull. Golgotha looks like a skull. We showed you that last Sunday. And that there was a garden nearby, and in in the garden was a tomb. And this uh, garden tomb is right next to what is called Golgotha. Again, we don't know if those are the actual sites, but certainly... It was a tomb like that. And you can actually go inside and look inside of this tomb, and uh, it is an empty tomb. And again, if if that's not the tomb of Jesus, it is a tomb very much like the tomb of Jesus. You know, a lot of people uh, want to deny the actual physical bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there have been a number of theories that have come about. Uh, We're not going to go through all of those, just a couple I'd like to suggest. One is called the swoon theory. Uh, Jesus uh, was placed in the tomb. He wasn't really dead. And then the tomb was kind of cool, and then he sort of revived, and uh, he came out. First of all, he had to roll the stone away. Then he had to overcome the Roman guard. Um, Then he showed himself alive. He would have been bleeding, and there would have been crusted blood all over himself. And and he shows himself alive to his disciples and said, I'm your risen Savior. And then they eventually give their lives for that. Um, That uh, theory makes absolutely no sense. One of the dumbest theories I've ever heard is that the women went to the wrong tomb. (laughs) It's called the wrong tomb theory. Uh, But that the Gospels tell us they observed where Jesus was uh, crucified, or rather where his body was laid. And uh, certainly, if Jesus was in the right tomb, his body was still there, uh, all the religious leaders had to do was to take people there or produce the body of Jesus, and that theory falls apart as well. The theory that's been around for 2,000 years is the one that originated here in the Gospels with the Roman soldiers and the Jewish leaders. And that's the theory that the disciples stole his body. And so when the angels came and the the guards became like dead men, and then when they finally awoke and they realized that the body was gone and they rushed into the city to go to the religious leaders because they knew they were in big trouble having not done their duty. And so they said, well, we'll intervene for Pilate for you. Here, take this money. And then you start this rumor that the disciples came and stole the body of Jesus. Again, we're supposed to believe that these primarily fishermen, you know, went and overcame this Roman guard and uh, stole the body of Jesus, and then that they, they hid it, you know, for so long that no one, even though all the Jews and the Romans had all the money and all the means to find the body of Jesus, and we're supposed to believe 
that these disciples were, you know, smart enough and clever enough to hide the body, uh, that just uh, begs uh, common sense, as do all of these theories. But as one ag- famous agnostic once said, I would rather have a bad theory than a miracle. And really, that's the issue, isn't it? People do not want to believe that Jesus Christ actually physically rose from the dead. Because if this man rose from the dead, then everything he's claimed is true. And his promise of coming back again is true. And his promise of judging the world one day is true. And so God has given us plenty of facts that we have a very reasonable faith in believing that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Now, I appreciate the folks reading those four gospel accounts because what those four gospel accounts show us is this is, this is not a carefully crafted story by the disciples. We'll see throughout this message that none of the disciples were expecting a resurrection. And so this does not sound like a carefully crafted story. Leon Morris says, the differences in the Gospels amount to no more than a demonstration that here we have the spontaneous evidence of witnesses, not the stereotyped repetition of an official story. Now, why does Satan hate the resurrection? Why has he for 2,000 years attacked the physical, actual resurrection of Jesus Christ? Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the central point of Christianity. The superstructure of Christianity rises or falls with the resurrection. As Pastor Brian read from the Apostle Paul, if there's no resurrection, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, there is no resurrection. We have no hope of eternal life. And our loved ones who've died in Christ, they perished. Our faith is in vain. We are literally wasting our time this morning. We should be out doing whatever people do that don't go to church on Easter Sunday morning rather than be here if Jesus did not rise from the dead. But as Paul clearly stated, Jesus Christ did rise from the dead. Over 104 times in the New Testament, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is mentioned. It was the central theme of the preaching of the apostles. And the apostles gave their lives. People, yes, all the time give their lives for a lie, but they don't give their lives for a lie that they made up themselves. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Now, Satan's attacks range from outright denial to distortion, to distortion. And for many years, scholars scoffed at the historical fact, even of Jesus' death, burial, and then certainly his resurrection. But an interesting thing has happened in scholarship over the years, because now there's currently agreement by scholars that Jesus was crucified under Pontius Pilate outside of Jerusalem, that he died, and that he was buried. There's also agreement that the tomb was found empty. Now, that's not saying that all these scholars believe that Jesus is the Son of God or that they've come to faith in Christ. We're not saying that. But it's interesting because the evidence, the historical evidence, is so strong. William Lane Craig says, There are probably few events in the Gospels for which the historical evidence is more compelling than for the resurrection of Jesus The trend among scholars in recent years has been the acceptance of the historical credibility of Jesus' resurrection. You say, well, how can these scholars accept the historical credibility of the resurrection, but they don't believe in the Jesus of the resurrection? Shows us how insidious uh, Satan is. Because at the same time, many of these scholars will 
could not accept that Jesus was physically raised from the dead. Some claim, well, you have to, you have to distinguish the real Jesus from the historical Jesus. Others say that his soul was resurrected. Others say that, well, his body, yeah, but it's only spiritual in nature. It was just a spiritual resurrection. It wasn't really a new glorified uh, physical, actual body. And then another really, I think, foolish theory is that uh, some say, well, his body is still dead. It's just they gave him, uh, God gave him a new body, but his, but his body's still in the grave, which that doesn't make any sense at all, which shows us how people and the lengths people will go to deny the resurrection. Now, we acknowledge the New Testament nowhere describes the actual resurrection event. The Bible says in Acts chapter 13, 30, God raised him from the dead. We believe that, and the evidence that we see in the New Testament clearly supports the fact that Jesus physically rose from the dead, even though we're not permitted to actually see what happened inside that tomb when Jesus came to life again, and the stone wasn't rolled away to let him out. That was to let people in to witness the resurrection. But the evidence in the New Testament is so compelling that the logical conclusion is that Jesus Christ physically rose from the dead. Now, some will say even today, this is a fable, this is a fairy tale, this is just one of those religious traditions. Uh, disciples made this up, and, and they've just passed it down from generation to generation. But if the disciples were getting together and making up a story, they went about it completely wrong. First of all, women were the first witnesses to the resurrection. And in the first century, and in Jewish-Roman society, this makes no sense at all. Verse 1, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark, saw the tomb, tomb, the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now, the Gospel of Luke reveals that Mary Magdalene came with a group of women. Luke 24, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, these women are identified in the chapter before this in Luke as uh, those who followed him from Galilee, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. So, the fact that they went to the wrong tomb makes no sense. They actually observed how Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus prepared the body of Jesus and how they placed the body of Jesus in the tomb. And because the Passover was coming, they probably had to do it quickly. And uh, you say, well, why are the women taking spices? Well, for one thing, they're women, and, and, and only two men helped do this. They probably had servants, but the women probably thought maybe they didn't do the best job. So, you know, we have to come behind and, and kind of do it right. I'm sure none of you can relate to that at all. But um, for whatever reason, they're coming to the tomb. You say, well, why would they be coming to the tomb when there's a Roman guard and a Roman seal? I don't think the women knew that personally. What they should have found when they got to the tomb was this Roman security force. It wasn't just a couple of guys. Uh, by hi history, it, it seems to be, it was probably, according to Roman custom, at least a dozen soldiers, maybe even more. There was the official seal of Rome on the, on the tomb, and that was a very big deal in that culture. 
to break the Roman seal. And that's what they should have found when they got there. But that's not what they found. Matthew 28. Behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. Every time I read that, I chuckle. I don't know. Probably you, you don't, but I have a weird sense of humor. I, you know, this is the resurrection, and the Lord sends this mighty angel from heaven. There's this earthquake and this massive round stone. In fact, the text says that he picked it up and, and moved it away, and this mighty angel is just kind of sitting on the, on the, the, you know, the, the stone from the tomb waiting for someone to come and witness the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. His countenance was like lightning. His clothing was like white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. In fact, Mark records the women were discussing on the way. Who's going to roll the stone away from the tomb for us? But then Matthew tells us that the soldiers fled, went into the city, as we said, to the chief priests. So the women, when they get there, soldiers are gone. The seal is broken. There's an angel sitting on the massive round door of the tomb and the bible tells us in mark 16 entering the tomb they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed but he said to them do not be alarmed you seek jesus of nazareth who is crucified he is risen he is not here see the place where the lord laid him again what an account you never make up something like this you know the, the angel's like I'm inviting you to, to see the place where the Lord lay. See, see the fact that this tomb is empty, and it's Jesus of Nazareth. He is not here. He is risen. And then these women run to tell the disciples, Luke 24, 11, and their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them, meaning the apostles. Why didn't the apostles believe the women when they reported this? Now, ladies, I don't want to offend you at all, okay? This isn't my viewpoint. This was first century culture, okay? The reason the disciples didn't believe them was because they were women. And that culture had a very low view, unfortunately, of women. Wherever Christianity has gone, it has elevated women. Well, the presence of the women, especially Mary Magdalene, is evidence of the authenticity of the gospel accounts. If you're going to make up a story of the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, you would never have women be the first witnesses of the empty tomb. You would never do that in that culture. And even the disciples didn't believe it. Because, again, the disciples were not expecting a resurrection. And so a woman's testimony was not admissible in court in that culture. Jewish men would pray and thank God they were not born a Gentile or a woman. And so Peter and John respond to the report of his body being taken. Now, probably, and again, as you put the gospel accounts together, you kind of come up with what seems like a logical uh, progression of events. So Mary Magdalene comes with all these women to the tomb, and they see that the, the, tomb is, the stone's rolled away and the tomb is empty. It appears that Mary Magdalene is so shocked, she immediately runs to Peter and John and then the women are also then going to the disciples. In verse 2, then she ran, meaning Mary Magdalene, came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and we believe that's John, and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they have laid him. 
So Peter and John rush to the tomb. Now, uh, John outruns the apostle Peter. But when John gets to the tomb, he just stoops and looks in. Peter, in typical Peter fashion, when he gets there, he just barges right in. But it's interesting, this is John's gospel, so this is John's eyewitness account that he's writing here and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And three times here we see the word see, but it's interesting as you look at these different words because his eyewitness account uses three different words. So John comes to the entrance of the tomb and he saw the linen cloths. That means he observed them. Peter rushed in and he saw, that word means to examine so he's, he's kind of, Peter's looking a little more carefully. And then John saw and believed, and that word means he perceived with understanding. And John began to put the pieces together because Jesus had told them, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer and die, and, and, and I'm going to be buried, and then, then, then the Son of Man <coughs> is going to be risen. But they still didn't quite understand the full impact of what that actually meant. Now, what John describes is a very orderly scene. It's not a scene of chaos. They see the grave clothes lying there. They see the face cloth that was actually folded and laid to the side. Why would grave robbers do that, you know? And so John, as he perceives this, begins to dawn on him that his Savior has actually risen from the dead. Now, John goes on to tell us in verse 9, for as yet they did not know the Scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the, the idea that the disciples were concocting a story, pulling out of the Old Testament what they didn't really comprehend yet, because remember, after Christ rises from the dead, he has different events with the disciples where he takes them through the Scriptures and explains to them why he must suffer and die, and, and the whole idea of the gospel, his death, burial, resurrection. But that's after they see the risen Lord. So at this point, they're not understanding all of that. And John doesn't mention the angels, so most likely they were not there when he and Peter arrived, or surely he would have mentioned that. Now, we have to admit that the absence of Jesus' body at this point does not prove a resurrection. The empty tomb alone and by itself does not prove a resurrection, as many scoffers will point out. However, the appearances of Christ in his resurrected body do prove the resurrection. And Mary Magdalene was the first to witness the risen Jesus. Now, this is absolutely amazing. It's amazing because if you're making up a story, you'd never pick Mary Magdalene. But even though we know it's not a made-up story, we know that John is giving us a true account of what actually happened. This is amazing that Jesus would pick Mary Magdalene, of all people, to be the first person that he reveals himself to. Mark 16, 9 says, Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. Now, we don't know if Mary Magdalene was a harlot. That kind of comes through church tradition. But there was something in her life, something sinful, that she was possessed by seven demons. 
and she's a woman, a woman of some kind of shaded character. And so if you're making up a story, you wouldn't pick women, and you wouldn't pick this woman of all people, Mary Magdalene. So we believe that Mary then returned to the tomb. Peter and John have left. The women are on their way to the apostles as well. And verse 11 says, but Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. Now, the word weeping here is unrestrained sobbing. She's not just shedding a few tears. She's beside herself. She is weeping. Her tears are literally flooding out of her. Because you see, in Jewish culture, to desecrate a dead body was unthinkable. And here was the body of her Lord and Savior, and she is just devastated, and she's confused, and she doesn't understand what's happening. In verse 12, she comes to the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. It's interesting, isn't it? God has provided both human and, and spiritual witnesses to his son's resurrection. We're going to see a number of people, not in this message, but if you read through the, the gospel accounts, you're going to see a number of people that Jesus appeared to. One account says in, in 1 Corinthians, over 500 believers at one time. Jesus only appeared to believers except for one exception, Saul of Tarsus, who then became the apostle Paul, who became a believer because of his vision of Christ. And so, these two angels, if you know your Old Testament, that kind of reminds you of the, the mercy seat, the, the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies, and that solid gold top with the two cherubim pointing down into the middle. And the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, calls that the place of propitiation, where once a year the high priest would go into the temple and sprinkle the blood between the cherubim to make satisfaction. What is propitiated? It, it was looking ahead to when Christ would come and he would shed his blood, which would satisfy the wrath of Almighty God. See, God can't just open up heaven and say, y'all, come on in. He can't do that. Not that he won't do that. He can't do that because God is a God of justice. Every sin must be accounted for. Every evil thing that you've done or I've done has to be accounted for. Sin has to be judged. Otherwise, God is not holy and God is not righteous. To go to heaven, you have to be as good as God is. You say, well, that's impossible. That's the gospel. Christ came and lived the sin sinless life we couldn't live. He died on the cross. God the Father poured out the punishment for your sin and my sin on his own perfect son. Doesn't mean everybody will be saved. It means those who believe, those who put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ will have their sins covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, verse 13, then they said to her, meaning the angels, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know, do not know where they have laid him. Mary was not expecting a bodily resurrection either. None of the disciples were. She, she doesn't understand what's happening here. I think her intense grief and emotion you know, she didn't really respond to the angel's presence. She, she answered, but she's just confused at this time. 
God has permitted us to view an individual and very personal encounter with the risen Jesus. This is a very personal, beautiful encounter. Now, keep in mind, this is the first person that Jesus Christ in his resurrected body now appears to, Mary Magdalene. And it's a very personal appearance. Verse 14, now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She didn't recognize him. It seems that when Jesus would appear to people, at first, they don't recognize him. Remember the wonderful story on the road to Emmaus, these two disciples are going to the road to Emmaus, and, and Jesus, I, don't, I love, God has a sense of humor, and Jesus shows up, and he starts walking along with them, and he says, what are you guys talking about? You don't know, are you the only one in Jerusalem that doesn't know what has happened? <laughs> and they start talking about Jesus and how they hoped he was the Messiah, and he got crucified, and there's the risen Jesus <laughs> walking along with them, and they don't recognize him until they break bread, and it's probably, the Bible doesn't say that, but it's probably because they saw the nail prints in his hands. Well, first, Mary didn't recognize him. Probably she turned back to the tomb as she answered Jesus. She, supposing him, verse 15, to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. We know Mary was one of the women at the cross, but Mary was a woman in that culture. And even in the, the gathering of disciples, Mary was not an apostle. She wasn't a, a leader. She, she was kind of not necessarily nobody, but she was sort of down the line, if you know what I mean. I mean, why didn't he appear to Peter or to John first? Yes, he does appear to the disciples, but he first appears to Mary of Mag Magdalene from the city of Magdala, out of whom he'd cast seven demons. John Morris calls this a wonderful condescension. And here's the beautiful part. Jesus was revealed to Mary when he spoke her name, when he spoke her name. You know, the Bible says if we die before Jesus returns, we will be absent from the body and present with the Lord. It doesn't say absent from the body and present in heaven, though that's true. But it says, absent from the body and present with the Lord. So I suspect that probably means the first person we see is Jesus. And could you imagine what that's going to be like when he speaks our name? You know, the Bible talks about our names are important to our Lord, that he knows us individually. In fact, he says there's a book called the Lamb's Book of Life. And Revelation seems to indicate this is a record of the redeemed of all the ages. It's your name written there in the book Bright and Fair in the book of God's kingdom. Is your name written there? Have you been born again? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Jesus has a record of all the redeemed. Not that he needs a book, but he knows who are his. Verse 15 is so beautiful. Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher or rabbi. The Greek is Mary, the Aramaic is Miriam. 
You know, Jesus taught back in John chapter 10 that the sheep know my voice and they follow me. The mark of a true disciple of Jesus, yes, we've made a confession of faith and we've trusted Christ, but the real mark of a, a true disciple of Jesus is somebody who follows Jesus. Is that the pattern of your life? I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about having a relationship with the Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, get something here. This is the focal point of human history. Yes, the cross is, is essential, but, but now the resurrection is so essential that though he were dead, yet now he's alive and he's conquered death and Satan and hell for us. And so here he is, the one who spoke the universe into existence. Colossians says Jesus Christ is preeminent in creation. So he literally spoke this incredible universe into existence. He's the giver of all life. And here he is in the <laughs> focal point of human history. And he reveals himself to one person who is a woman with a jaded past, who's one of his disciples, who dearly loves him. See, that's why we talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You must come to him personally. I grew up in this church. I've got Christians on both sides of my family going way back. But I had to decide for myself to trust Christ as my Savior, my personal Savior. You know, you might have thought Jesus would reveal himself in the temple. <laughs> you know, shock those priests. Or how about if he'd have revealed himself to Pilate in the praetorium? Boy, how, what, what, what dramatic entrance that would have been. But he didn't do that. He revealed himself to one individual, to Mary. And then Mary Magdalene was the first to learn of a new relationship between Jesus and his disciples. Verse 15, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren. Say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. He was talking about his disciples, not his half-brothers, as some people think. You know, Mary, I suspect what this is telling me. When Jesus says, don't cling to me, what's that tell you? He, she's clinging to him. She probably fell at his feet and grabbed a hold of him, and she doesn't want to let him go lest you know, she lose him again. And he talks about ascending, which, Lord willing, we'll see what that means next Sunday. But what we do learn is that when Jesus ascended back to heaven, that Jesus soon will no longer be with them in a physical presence, in a physical presence. If Jesus came through those doors and walked down this aisle and came to church and sat here on the front pew, at the end of the service, I'm the preacher. He's going home with me, okay, just so everybody knows that. That's, that's clear. But now Jesus has ascended back to heaven, and he sent the Holy Spirit. And when you know Christ is your Savior, Jesus goes home with every one of us. In fact, he dwells within each of us. He talked about that at the Last Supper, John 14. I will pray the Father, he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. A little bit longer, the world will see me no more, but you will see because 
I live, you will live also. Another means of the same kind. We believe in the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus has sent his spirit, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of God who dwells inside every believer. That's one of the greatest evidences that you're a Christian, that you have the Holy Spirit. You know, our relationship with Christ is just as personal as is Mary Magdalene's relationship. We are so happy you're here. And I realize it's Easter Sunday, and, you know, some of you make a very special effort to come. Some of you are with family. Some of you are, are with guests, and they've invited you. And, and I want you to know we're really happy you're here. We really are. But are you here because of, well, it's Easter. You go to church on Easter. Um, it's sort of a religious thing. I don't know if you were here last Easter or maybe Christmas Eve, or maybe you were at another church. But do you realize how, how good God is? Maybe you've heard this, if you were in our church, you've heard this same essential message of the gospel each time you're here. Have you responded to that gospel? Isn't it amazing that God has given you another year of life? He's been so gracious to you that you could hear this message again and that you could still have opportunity to trust him as Lord and Savior. See, the preparation for eternity is a relationship with the risen, resurrected Jesus. John tells us toward the end of his book why he wrote this gospel. Truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Death does not end our conscious existence. Everybody's going to spend eternity in one of two places, either with the Lord or apart from the Lord. What a tragedy if you would step out into eternity without Christ and think back to the times where you had an opportunity for somebody to sit down with you and explain the gospel so that you could know that you know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. I think by now, if you sat through this service, you realize we here at Grace Bible Church actually believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he is our Lord and our Savior. And we're going to see next Sunday that at the ascension, the angel said, this same Jesus is so coming in like manner as you've seen him go to heaven. He's coming back again. Only this time he comes in flaming fire with his holy angels. And he comes taking vengeance on those who do not know God. Jesus Christ came the first time in humility. He suffered and died for you, was buried for you, was risen for you. But you can either accept him or you can reject him.